made fun of Sister Sue's age and, of course, my age, too, you know. And then we got back to the serious note here with uh, Brother Johnson, and I'm really thrilled that he's here in this city. Praise God. And I trust that he will have a, a big harvest with many souls. Praise God. I did fail to make one announcement. I need to have a meeting with all the school staff right after service. We'll meet back in my office, okay, right after service. Now it's time for the preaching of the Word of the Lord. But I'd like to just sing one more time. Praise God. Now, take your Bibles and turn with me. To the third chapter of the Gospel of John. The third chapter of the Gospel of John. I feel especially good tonight. You know, I felt uh, so good in the last few weeks. You know, sometimes you don't feel so good physically and it affects you spiritually. Other times you feel down physically, but you feel real good spiritually. Sometimes you don't feel so good spiritually, but you feel good physically. Well, I've just kind of had a little streak here in which I've just felt good. And uh, I, I especially felt good because last Sunday night I preached to everyone that was 12 years old and younger. I uh, went up to uh, Nina, and I don't like to just go places and preach the same message, you know, that I preached before. But I went in their Christian school... And, of course, we were largely responsible for them establishing a school. Now, it wasn't our idea, but when they got ready to establish a school, I went up there and made a presentation to them, spent a lot of time answering questions one evening. And then uh, Brother Dempsey, who is the principal of that school, came down here. And uh, Brother Rutherford gave him instructions for a day or so. He worked in the school. They really have a good school. But when I walked in their school that day, the Lord began to talk to me. And I went before their people and preached exactly what I did here Sunday night. And at the end of the service, there was a message in tongues and interpretation, all of which I had nothing to do with, nor the one that was here. And it was just almost verbatim as to what we had here on Sunday night. And I just, it was such a confirmation. I don't know, you know, you, you always know that God's real, but sometimes, you know, the, the, the proof just kind of jumps out and excites you. Yeah. Amen. And I was sitting at a table after the wedding rehearsal on Friday night, and Brother Inquist said, you know, I did something that I've never done before. And I said, what'd you do? He said, you know what I did last week? I said, what? He said, the Lord laid a burden on my heart and I stood before our people and said, I'm going to preach to all the kids who are 12 and under. I said, that's exactly what I did Sunday night. He said, praise the Lord. You know how Brother Inquist gets all excited. He was really excited about it. He said, you know, that's just a real confirmation to me. He said, you know, 
It was such a sweeping move of the Lord. And he said the service ended with a message in tongues and interpretation. He told me what it was all about. And it was just what the Lord had told us here. Isn't that great? Isn't God good? Praise God. Let's lift our hands and just worship the Lord, would you? Praise God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. John, the third chapter, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And we're going to stop there. And I'd like for you to be seated if you would. Of course, we know what the Lord told him. In verse 3, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. (coughs) The scripture I'd like to call your attention to is a second scripture that I read, and I only read a portion of that scripture. The same came to Jesus by night. And I want to talk about he came by night. He came by night. Now this morning, I was making an explanation relative to a situation that that we have uh, come up against, and that is the Social Security uh, taxes that is to be withheld from from uh, churches by all, uh, all by any employee of the church was supposed to hold Social Security taxes starting January 1st, and uh, there is an amendment. And I started talking about this. Several people came up wanting the tape, and of course, uh, Brother Charlie was running the machine, and I had made the statement that I was going to make some uh, statements about this and, and then read my scripture and preach so he didn't put a tape in. And I ended up taking all the 45 minutes, and we had a great move of the Lord. Several people asked that I make sure that I read the letters and such tonight. Now, what I want to do is work this right into my message, because I think it's something that you need to understand. Now, <clears throat> we had such a great move of the Lord and a baptism at the end of the service, of which uh, uh the parent of the young man was here, the mother was here, and she was really touch of the Lord. And she sat right down on the front down here about where Sister Marisa is, and I'll tell you, tears and were in her eyes. And, no, I think she's on the second pew back where Michelle is. But the Lord really did touch her. 
And we had several uh, people to leave, and they told us that they were definitely going to contact their senators about this particular bill. Now, <clears throat> I'll work this in in my message, but uh, I'd like to point out something that is a very uh, definite teaching in the Scripture. See, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It was not by accident that the Lord put the time of His coming to him. You'll, you'll find in the Scripture that a lot of insignificant things are placed in the Scripture that have a very deep meaning. You see, nighttime in the Scripture or a period of darkness is referred to as a time of sin or a type of sin. Now, you can search throughout the Scripture. There are so many Scriptures that deal with darkness and night as being symbolic of sin. And Nicodemus was a man, even though he was a ruler of the Jews, Nicodemus was a man who was in need of salvation. And his coming by night indicated, that is, the Scripture places it, as, uh, or it's placed in the Scripture where it is, and uh, it indicates the condition of the man. Now, that doesn't mean that, that a man could not have come to Jesus in the daytime in need of salvation. But I think in view of the fact that the Scripture bears out, he, he slipped through the night to come to Jesus. It tells us about where he was spiritually speaking. You'll also find in the Bible that there are certain terms and stories and words that are mixed up that seem to just fit the occasion. Uh, another example of this is found in the 21st chapter of the book of John. It's not necessary for you to turn there. But the apostles, after Jesus Christ, had uh, arose from the tomb. After he had uh, come from the tomb... And this was about the second or third time that he appeared unto them. The Bible tells us that they went out fishing. Now the Bible says they fished all night and they caught nothing. Now isn't it strange how the word night and nothing go together? And then when morning came they saw the Lord. And and so as a result uh, uh, they saw him and... And, and Jesus kind of cupped his hands. He had the fire going and everything. And they had fished all night. And they had not caught anything. Night and nothing seemed to go together. And Jesus said, have you any meat? And of course they didn't know who he was standing out there with a the fire all glowing. And they said, nothing! And Jesus then called out and said, Cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, I'm not for sure if right side meant the literal right side or if, in other words, he was saying the opposite of the wrong side. But nevertheless, they changed their technique. Now, if anybody would have known anything about fishing, it should have been the men he had called who were fishermen. They were the experts. But you see, there are certain things that experts overlook. Maybe this was just their normal routine. This is the way that they had always done things. And so as a result, 
because that they'd always fished on the left side of the boat and cast their nets from the left side of the boat. They made their drags from the left side of the boat. Maybe they just refused to throw it on the other side. But here the master is telling them, if you're not productive doing it one way, why don't you try another way? Cast it on the right side. And you know, churches can get in the routine of doing things the same way all the time. And I know of churches that, that there are certain things that are sacred to them. Uh, they've got to do things the same way all the time. And it's just the same old thing over and over and over. Well, my, if it's not productive, why keep going through it? Now, when morning came, Jesus said, cast your net on the other side of the ship. And you know what happened? When they pulled that net, there were so many fish in it that they literally stripped themselves of their clothing and jumped in and grabbed the net and they began to hold it. And when they drug that thing up close to the shore where Jesus had the fire all waiting to cook the fish, they dumped their nets out in the boat and they had 153. Night and nothing. It's morning now and they have much. You notice how those words go together? Night and nothing, morning and much. And you see, this man came to Jesus by night. Every man who is born in this world is born in this world of sin. Now the scripture bears witness to this. While I do not believe in the original sin theory that's taught in some churches the way that it's taught, I believe that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world. Why? He said because the world is condemned already. Night is symbolical of the time of sin that a man lives in. And every man goes through his night before he comes into his morning. And when it's night, it's nothing. And when it's his morning, it's much. And that's the way it is in the Scripture. The Scripture tells us <coughs> concerning the night that we must work while it is day, for the night cometh. This is found in the book of John. Also John 3.19, found right here in this same passage of Scripture. Jesus said, men love darkness better than light because their deeds are evil. So evil men love the night. Their deeds are evil. Luke, the first chapter, verse 79 the Bible says that Jesus came to bring light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of hell. You see, this is the condition of the world. The world is in its night time. I say the world is in its night time. John twelve thirty five. the Bible says, Walk while you have light, lest darkness come upon you. You can see the contrast of light and darkness. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It speaks of out of darkness. He brought us into this marvelous light. You could take your concordance and you could run reference after reference after reference. I have an unabridged one in my office and it would be impossible for me to quote all the scriptures you tonight and the given length of time that I choose to preach on this particular subject. 
There are so many, many, many references. Now, this is also just kind of a natural thing that people pick up. This is a reason why that a man like the late Hank Williams could could compose a song and write it. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness. No more in night. And maybe some of you old timers here remember this composition that he wrote. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more in darkness. No more in night. And I remember witnessing to a young man on the streets of, of uh, La Crosse. And this young man by the name of Tom didn't even believe in a God. In fact, well, at least he told me he didn't believe in a God. When people tell me this, I have uh, grave questions concerning some of them. I think some of them almost want to be kind of uh, uh, tough. And, and they don't want to, you know, they think to, to believe in God is a sissy thing indeed. And so... I witnessed to him quite a number of times. And then uh, when I resigned the church there to come here, this young man, realizing that I was resigning the church, decided that he would visit our church. And he came in. He sat in the back of the church. He wouldn't respond at all, wouldn't clap his hands. And and then all of a sudden, uh, as I began to preach, the Spirit of the Lord came down in such a mighty, mighty way. And it just literally got Tom and shook Tom like this. Now, Tom was a boy who said he had never been in a church before in his life. Oh, I think he said maybe he went sometime, one time to some kind of a, a formal graduation or something was held in a, in a church where they had a Christian school. But he said, that's it. And so all he knew was street language and the, and the rough, tough ways of, of uh, the hippie culture. He comes to our church and the Lord gets a hold of him. And, of course, that night in my message, I made reference to leaving, and he knew that I was leaving. And just as I was finishing the service, he stood up and said, I want to say something. Well, I didn't know if I should let him say anything or not, because he and I had really gotten into some discussions indeed. And so Tom then came and and, uh, came up the front, and he said, Pastor, I, I won't embarrass you. And I saw some tears in his eyes. And he turned around, and he said, Folks, you just don't know what I have just felt here. He said, now your pastor's leaving. He said, I don't know why he's leaving. I, maybe, you're, maybe you have a petition to run him off or something. I don't know. But he said, you know, I'm so thankful for him coming down on the streets and talking to us about the Lord. He said, now, if I ever see the light, if I ever see the light, It'll be because of his testimony to me. So it's a natural thing for people to talk of, of religious revelations as being light. You know, they just they just do that. That's an automatic thing. See, they just do that. And isn't it something? And you've probably seen in magazines and papers and and maybe films and such. If you've ever seen a film on the occult and and, and when people go into gross darkness, they they turn the lights down in a building. They usually have red lights and they paint the walls black. And they make it real spooky and dark. And this is where they worship. They just seem to revert back to the darkness. It's a, it's a strange thing how that, that this just happens to people. It just happens to people. Now, what I want to do is first talk about the condition of our world. You know, since Adam and Eve came, 
and brought darkness into the world through the sin that they brought, the world has been wrapped up in darkness. And God has a bright tomorrow for everybody who's looking for morning. He really has. He really has. But now we're living at the very close of our particular generation. You will find in, in Matthew the 25th chapter, when, when Jesus gave the parable in his prophecy of the kingdom of God, notice what happens here. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened to ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. When do you sleep and when do you slumber? The Bible tells us, the book of Proverbs, that the night is made for sleep. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Now this is a parable that's dealing with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know in this parable there are a lot of things that I'd like to explain. I could not explain tonight, lest I get off the subject that I'm on. But I'll tell you, it is such a great hope of mine to know that Jesus Christ is soon to come back after His church. And He's going to rapture this church right out of this world. If you will turn with me to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, and we're turning to some of these passages of Scripture that are just so simple to some of you, but for the sake of some who are here that perhaps have never heard uh, about this, we'd like for you to turn and read it for your sake. 1 Thessalonians 4, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Verse 13, That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. See, there are many, many good children of the Lord who have passed on before us. We buried them in the sod of the earth already. And they're waiting for the whisper of the trumpet's going to take them out of the grave. And I believe it's going to happen. I say, I believe it's going to happen. Praise God. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Praise God. Now the Lord's going to ascend from heaven with a shout. It's going to be like the voice of a trumpet. Well, we always talk about Gabriel blowing the trumpet. I don't really know that there's anything in the Scripture that says that Gabriel's going to blow the trumpet. It's the Lord Himself that shouts like the shout of a trumpet. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the Bible speaks of the last trump. You see, the Lord's going to call them forth. 
Just like he stood before the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and I am the life. But one of these days, he's not going to say Lazarus. He's just going to say, come forth. And the dead going to get up out of the grave. And the Lord's going to quicken them with his spirit. Praise God. And you know what he's going to do after he calls them? Then he's going to call again. And he's going to call those that are alive and remain. Then he's going to say, Now, come forth the second time. And if you and I have not deceased and we're full of the power of the Holy Ghost, praise God, gravitation is going to lose its hold on us. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If the Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in your mortal body, it shall also quicken you in the day of the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's going to be a great day, friend. I say it's going to be a great day. Praise God. I tell you, I'm looking forward to that day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I spoke last Sunday night about my big world and about being able to leave this world one of these days and go to heaven. Praise God. But you know how when you when you get up in the morning, you go in and you look at yourself in the mirror one of these days, friend, praise God, I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk into the bathroom and look at myself in the mirror and it's going to be different altogether. Praise God. I'm going to look down, pick up that mirror and hallelujah, this is not the bathroom at all. Praise God. <laughs> and this is not the mirror. This is the glass of sea. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. And I'm going to run through the streets of gold. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to skip across the clouds. And I'm going to grab a handful of stars. And I'm going to give them to you. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's going to be great. Now let me tell you something. You see... This story in the Bible was not designed to scare the Christian. For Paul says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. A good way that you can tell whether you're saved or not. You know, I don't believe in eternal security like some people. But there are a lot of times that, that young people, and young people do this quite frequently. They go on fire for the Lord and what do they do? They talk in tongues and roll around the altar and snot around and all this and then they get up and by, by Wednesday or Thursday they've had outs with everybody in the Christian school and they've been caught cheating several times and they got so many demerits parents have come down hard on them now they're mad at the world and they're not ready to go up that's bad but uh, that happens that way now a good indication as to whether you're ready or not is when the preacher starts preaching about the rapture That the fear is not there, but there's a joy there. <laughs> I want to leave. <laughs> Praise God. If you knew Jesus was coming tonight, what would your reaction be? Some of you would get up and shout, but some of you get down and pray. <laughs> Isn't that right? Praise God. I'll tell you what. I, I say this sincerely, you know. I'm looking forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm looking forward to it. I just, I just believe that Jesus Christ could come any time. Now, it's my belief that the church will not go through 
the Great Tribulation period. Now, a lot of people believe that the church will, but uh, what I want to do is just have you turn to Second Thessalonians. We want to read something out of this book that uh, I feel that's very powerful. And we're going to bring in this other little matter that I called your attention to. Well, this may not appear to be apostolic Sunday night preaching. There are certain things that have to be taken care of at certain times. The night is upon the world. When Jesus Christ appeared to those virgins, he appeared in the night. The second coming of the Lord, when the church is raptured, and then, of course, the time in which the Lord comes back after the tribulation period with his saints, both of these are made reference in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the epistles, as him coming as a thief in the night. Now, the Lord's not just intentionally slipping up on people to catch them unaware. Now, that's what you'd normally think a thief would do. He'd slip through the night. And not make any sound, and and uh, he would come in and 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 crouch upon you and and uh, spoil the goods of your house and such. But uh, that's not really the intent of the Lord. You see, the Bible says in the days of Noah that God was long suffering, not willing that any should perish. You see, the Lord doesn't want anybody to die lost. Well, why is he coming as a thief in the night? Do you know when Jesus was here, he spake in parables? Now, parables, now you read it very carefully. Sometimes we get, when we read the, the, the reason why, he spake in parables so that they would not understand it all. Now, Jesus never intentionally hid things from, from good, honest-hearted people. And to those people who were honest, he spoke in just as common a term as he possibly could. The most common term that he could speak in. So that they would understand what he was saying. And he could not put it any simpler than the way that he did. Why? Because he wanted people to be saved. But not to the people who were not honest. The people who were full of hypocrisy. uh, They didn't understand what he was saying. Because you know they were so accustomed to the vernacular of the scribes. And to those people, it was hid altogether. But but God never intentionally obscured things from people just so they'd be lost. Now, don't ever think that he did. And the Lord is wanting people to be saved. In fact, this parable tells us in Matthew 25, at midnight a cry was made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh! And that is the shout of the church today that Jesus Christ is coming back. Bumper stickers tell us, beware of vehicle, driver may be raptured. You know, a lot of things like this. And and so the word rapture has become a common term. But in view of the darkness and the obscurity of people's mind toward the Bible, and in view of the fact that they live in darkness, you can't see 
in darkness. It is equivalent to a thief that would slip through the night to grab them unaware. See? While the Lord's not intentionally slipping upon them, it appears that way because of their condition, not his position. Because he's not wanting anybody to perish. But his coming is as a thief in the night. His position is not a thief. It's reflective of their spiritual position, not his. Now, we are living in the night time. Let me tell you something. I'm going to sound very redundant on some of these things because of this morning's message. But, but you know, this situation in, in the Middle East is not just happening by accident. Now, I definitely believe that there, there's a reason why that we're involved in the Mideast. And while I don't want to use a pulpit as a political podium, there is a definite reason why. Now, let me just show you something here in Second Thessalonians. Now, Second Thessalonians 2. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye... Be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, that as that the day of Christ is at hand. Now the day that he's speaking here is at hand, and that's when the Lord comes back for the battle of Armageddon with his saints. But now those saints are raptured, if I understand the scripture correctly, those saints are raptured. In Revelation 4. Now if you turn with me to Revelation 4. We'll just go through this just a little bit. Now I know that there are many, many beliefs relative to this particular subject. Now there are letters written to seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and Revelation 3. Now I have always felt, and I wouldn't say always because I haven't always believed the Bible... But as long as I have been a student of the Word, I have felt that the seven parables of Matthew 13 are parables of prophecy given to Lord Jesus Christ relative to His kingdom from the time in which He originally sowed the seed until the time that the great dragnet is cast into the sea together fish of every kind. You see, you will find in that particular parable, those parables, you will find that there was a time in which the pearl of great price was found. And it was not until about the turn of the century, after the Dark Age and after the Reformation, in which the true apostolic message that was proclaimed in the Bible was restored back in the churches in the, in the, in the world. And you can read of the great revival of Azusa Street and how that the Holy Ghost was poured out in Topeka, Kansas in a Methodist seminary there where George Parham happened to be the president. They made an in-depth study of the Word of God relative to the receiving of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And since the turn of the century, over 20 million people we know of have received the Holy Ghost. And many people in Catholic churches and Lutheran churches now are receiving the Holy Ghost, and those are not the ones that I'm counting. You may say, don't those count? Well, I suppose that they do, but I have no way of counting them. 
I didn't count the others, but at least we have statistics of that, see. So a lot of people have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, there are seven letters written to seven churches of Asia. And if you will read those letters, you will find that those definitely coincide with church history. The last church age is the church age of Laodicea. And Laodicea is a word that means laity rule. And this definitely was a sign of the last days. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, people will say, we want a preacher to preach to us what we want to hear. And if he won't do it, we're going to fire him. And we're going to tell him how much he's going to get and what his salary is going to be and so forth and so on. Now some of you are new around here, but we don't operate that way. One lady walked in my office one time. She came from another church and she said, you know, I'll tell you what. She said, you went out and bought a whole bunch of buses and you never brought it up to the congregation. And she said, I'm all upset about it. Well, where I came from, I said, where did you come from? She said, she called the name of the church. I said, where did you come from? She called me. I said, where did you say you came from? She said, you can't hear. And I said, yeah, I wonder if you are hearing. That's where you came from. That's not where you are. Amen. And I said, our deacons went out and bought all those buses so that you can come in here and lift your hands and not have to worry about transmissions and broken glass and stuff like that. You know, I don't, I don't want to sound tough. You know, really, I don't. But I say this, you didn't hire me and you can't fire me. <clears throat> now, I don't, I, like I say, I'm not trying to sound tough. But in case somebody is worried about it, that settles it. You, you follow what I'm saying? And I mean, that's just the way it is, you see. And so the last church age was the church age of Laodicea. Now Laodicea was rich and increased in goods. And they said, we have need of nothing. And that happens to be the age that is upon us right now in our world. While the Holy Ghost is touching a lot of people. If you'll read that last parable, the parable of the dragnet. Everybody that was caught in the net was not saved. For the Bible says there was a separation time. Now I don't know how you feel. But I believe the separation time occurs. Over the name of Jesus Christ. And what separates all of the Holy Ghost filled people in the world today. Is the name of Jesus. How do we baptize? We baptize in water by immersion in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ exclusively. For there is salvation in none other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And when somebody looks down their nose and they say, Oh, you go over to Calvary Gospel Church where they baptize in Jesus' name and they believe that Jesus is all in all. What are you supposed to do? 
You're supposed to hang your head and walk away and say, Oh my, we're such a minority group. That's what the Lord told us to do, didn't He? He said, Get out and wallow in your pity that you got to suffer for my name's sake. No, He said, Tell it all joy when you suffer for my name's sake. Hallelujah! Praise God, praise God, praise God. I tell you, we're on a winning team. I say, we're on a winning team. And so those seven churches are addressed, which are indicative of seven churches that existed then, but also seven definite church periods or ages. In Revelation 4, at the end of the last church age, after this, I looked and behold a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking to me. It's going to be like a trumpet. And notice what the voice said to John. Come up hither. Praise God. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And when John was raptured up into the heavens, he sat upon the throne there with the four and twenty elders, which are indicative of the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints. And verse chapter 5, they're gathered around the throne. Verse 10 says, He hath made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. These people came from every kindred, every nation, every tongue, and every people in chapter 9 who were redeemed by His blood. Praise God. Now that's the rapture of the church. Now, now, after the rapture of the church in Revelation 6, you can find that the darkest night that the world has ever known begins to unfold. It's called the tribulation period. Now, let's just stop there, Revelation 6, and let's go back to 2 Thessalonians 2 that I read to you. Now, Paul says, don't you worry about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is that he's speaking of is the time in which the Lord shall come back with all of the saints at the battle of Armageddon. Now, I said, now, don't worry about that. There are certain things that have to occur before that day happens. Now, he said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Now, the falling away that takes place is in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, the tribulation period. There's no great revivals mentioned there. In fact... It might surprise you, but after the earth becomes so hot and the sun scorches and kills multitudes of people, would you believe that those people were so ungodly that they walked out and clenched their fist and they blasphemed God and caused, I say caused, they cursed God and they accused God 
for allowing that to happen. They thought it was his fault. It, it's not God's fault. It's their fault. What did Paul say? Paul says, wherefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men to repent. And you know, you and I need to get the message out that, hey, there's going to be a sad day coming upon the face of the earth. So he said, now let no man deceive you, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. So that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now this is talking about the Antichrist. He will go to Jerusalem where the temple of God is or will be built. There is a new temple there, but uh, some feel that he will not really uh, reign in that temple because that the temple of God must be built back on the old site. But I think according to Bible prophecy that the temple on its original site was destroyed and the next king and ruler to sit in the temple there will be the Lord Jesus Christ during the millennium. And I have a strong feeling that the Antichrist will sit in the wrong temple, the one that they have prepared
these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now what he's saying is something's withholding the revelation of the Antichrist. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And the he that's speaking of here be taken out of the way is the body of Christ. And you will find in the Bible, even though the, the we're called the bride of Christ, we are called the bride of Christ only a time or so in the entire Bible. We are the espoused bride of Christ. Right now we're classified as the body of Christ. And so the pronoun, the masculine pronoun, he is used. Now notice what happens. After he, the body of Christ, is taken out of the way, then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with, his, with the brightness of his coming. Now what Paul is saying, something is withholding this. Now, I know every now and then you read in a paper or maybe some religious tract or such, we had prophecy update in which they said, the Antichrist will be revealed in June of 1982. Somebody came up to me and said, Brother Grant, do you believe that that's going to happen that way? I said, well, it's May already. And I'll say this, if this happens, the church won't be here. It won't? No. Some people say the Antichrist is living right now and a lot of people know where he is. He's over in the Mideast someplace and they know his name. Don't you believe that garbage? That's not scripture. He will not be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. That's what the Bible says. That's what Paul was saying. Don't get all uptight, he said, because he will not be revealed until the church be taken out of the way. There is something that is holding back the forces of hell. And it's no more than the church of the living God. And you are a part of that body, a part of that church. And your testimonies and your prayer life and your fasting and your prevailing in the presence of the Lord. And as Brother Johnson said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous people availed much. And the Antichrist cannot take over as long as there is a Christian body of believers on the face of the earth. The devil doesn't have the power to do it. Praise God. I say the devil does not have the power to do it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Something's holding it back. Something's holding it back. Praise God. How long have I been going here anyway? I got this letter to read. Okay, let me read this letter. Now this letter came to me from Gibbs and Cray's company, LPA. This is Attorney Counselors at Law. Uh, of course you know that David Gibbs is the president of CLA. Uh, there is a bill before the Senate that would require churches to... Uh, withhold 
Social Security tax come January 1st. Now, the problem that, that we're having with this is that already there are signed petitions in the White House and in the Senate with lists and names of people. There are over 2,500 independent Southern Baptist churches that say, we will go to jail before we do it. Now, you may say, why? Because in churches that have been doing this, there is an overwhelming regret relative to it because the Internal Revenue Service has felt its liberty to go in and audit not just a portion of the books, but all the books on a very regular basis. This morning I gave you a story about the church up in Shawn on a thing that I personally got involved in. And I wish I had time to relate that story to you. Now, I'm not against paying Social Security. I pay Social Security. But up until now, I've been considered to be self-employed. Now, come January 1st, they're making it mandatory that we take and mail in uh, all Social Security from the checks. In other words, we withhold them. Now, there is a conflict in our land at this time relative to constitutional law and administrative law. Now, you're going to say, Brother Grant, what in the world are you trying to do? Uh, like I said, I'm not trying to use a pulpit as, uh, as, a, as a political podium. Not at all. And this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. But I have some very strong feelings about them coming in here and, uh, and auditing our books. Up in Sean O, they did that on a monthly basis for a long period of time. And, uh, of course, they, all the church was doing there was that they had a licensed daycare center in which they received some state funds. And uh, the Internal Revenue Service had already audited their books beforehand, and after receiving the state funds, the state then told them who to hire, what to pay them, and so forth and so on. Now, the first... The First Amendment to our Constitution gives us right to religious freedom. Now, I personally believe that this is a step toward taking religious freedom away from us. Now, you may not feel that way, and I covered this more in depth this morning. I think there's much more to it than paying Social Security. While I pay Social Security, and I trust that all of you do. That is, if you, if you should be paying it. Now, if you have religious convictions against it, then I say that you should not do it. I believe in the Bible. We should obey the laws of the land. But you might also remember the man who said, Obey every ordinance of man, for this is the will of God. And his name was Peter, was the first man in the Bible to break the law. Did he not? And he said, sirs, I would rather obey God than man. And the reason why that he broke the law is because that Jesus Christ himself had given him a mandate to preach the gospel. And they said, you can't do it. And so he had to make up his mind whether he was going to obey the ordinance of man or the ordinance of God. And naturally, the higher power always rules. I said the higher power always rules. And friend, if you can get any higher in God, I'd like to know how. But if the law is not in conflict, 
with the law of God, we should obey the laws of the land. But this is a real big issue. And because that it's becoming a great big issue, here's the letter. Dear Pastor, we're sending you a copy of a notification received by this office informing us of a bill which Senator Jepson is introducing to delay by two years the effective date of the mandatory Social Security coverage of church employees. We most urgently ask that you place your vocal support behind this bill and that you urge your membership, the membership of your congregation, to do likewise. If you have an objection or concern with the new Social Security law to be implemented January 1st, 1984, we would suggest that you call your state's senators and the president and that you call your fellow pastors and ask them to do the same. Your state senators need to be informed that their constituents are concerned about the problems for churches posed by the Social Security Amendments of 1983. The Social Security position paper being prepared by our office is near final completion. The, the extremely heavy caseload and busy schedule of the attorneys who have been preparing the paper have caused some delays in its completion. We apologize. The paper is to be sent to the printers next week, and we will uh, next week, and will be sent to you as soon as possible. Thank you most sincerely for your gracious understanding of the delay. Now, I did get this letter to Saturday, and along with it is a mailogram that says the following is a transcript copy of a Western Union mailogram received in our office on November second, nineteen eighty-three. Urgent, 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 legislative. Solution to Social Security church conflict possible. Senator Robert Jepson will introduce a bill amending the Social Security law. The Jepson Amendment will delay for two years the mandatory coverage of employees of religious organizations. Your help is needed immediately. This measure is essential to avoid lawsuits and church property confiscation, uh, which will result when churches do not comply with the new law effective January 1984. The law, as, as, as interpreted by the Internal Revenue and already released to the churches, is this, that if the ministers do not withhold it and send it in, they are subject to imprisonment. And if the churches do not do it, then the church property will be confiscated and auctioned off on an open market. Now, it's the first time anything like this ever happened, but this is the first connection that the government has had with churches. Now, for me to stand up in my pulpit and say that I endorse a certain candidate and publish literature and such, we would lose our tax-exempt status for doing this because the government says there must be a separation of church and state. I say if that's what the government wants, that's what the government should have. Now, you may say, well, Brother Grant, now you've left preaching and you've gone to this. I believe that somehow in our particular world, that there is a clever device by Satan to stop the propagation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and put pressure on God's people. As, as sure as I heard from God at any moment, I heard from God one time on my knees right down here. Somebody came in and said, Brother Grant, did you know that, that they're saying that the that church is going to be taxed? And I said, no way. And they said, that's what I was thinking. And so they, they walked away. And they said, well, all of the, uh, the big churches, the Catholic churches, and all the money they have, and because that, 
that 90% of all of our senators are Catholic. They'll never do that. And while I was down praying, the Lord spoke to me and said, here's how they can do it. Now listen to me. I know I heard from God. At that time, the Equal Rights Amendment was up before the Senate. Now, you may say, Brother Grant, do you believe that the Equal Rights Amendment should be passed by the Senate? Not as it's stated. While I believe in equal rights, and you know I believe in equal rights, I think that a man has his place in the world, and I also believe a woman has his place in the world. And please understand this, and I speak to to people of all races and nationalities. I believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, not our skins. And I will say this with this good pastor sitting on this platform, this good man here, this man of God. I believe that our forefathers came here in 1620 to get away from the tyranny of a government that had suppressed the church and was running the world through the church. And Brother Felix's forefathers came here on slave ships many years later. And I thank God that the slaves were set free. And I can say this, Brother Felix, we're in the same boat together now. Amen. Praise God. And I love you with all of my heart. But I know one thing about the Equal Rights Amendment. It also allows homosexuals and such the very same liberty that it allows straight people. And it seems real strange to me that even in the gay world, they will say, are you straight? I'm serious with you. And while I was down on my knees praying, I know the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, this is how they can tax you, through the Equal Rights Amendment. I said, Equal Rights? We believe in Equal Rights. We even sign a statement saying that people of all nationalities can come to our church. And the Lord spoke to me and said, but would you allow homosexual on your board? You see, now it's not a social thing. It's a sin thing. You see? And I said, well, no. God, you know I couldn't do that. People are saying, oh, homosexual this and homosexual that. You may say, Brother Graham, what do you think? I think it's an abominable sin. That's exactly what I think. I'm serious with you. And I know that Madison is a big stronghold of homosexuals. And I was told many years ago, make sure in your pulpit that you don't preach against certain things because there's a lot of homosexuals here. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a homosexual, Jesus Christ died for your sins and you need to repent tonight and get your heart clean. One sure way of extension of the human race, just let us all be gay. When God made Adam, he took one of his ribs, and friend, he didn't bring a man to him. He brought a woman. And that's the way God wanted it. I say, that's the way God wanted it. But there is a darkness that's creeping upon the human race, and there's a lot of pressure that's being placed upon the human race. And I can see things boiling in the Mideast and I'm boiling here on the, uh, on the home front. And, and oh, let me tell you something there. I, I've told you some of my pet peeves, but while, while I, I don't believe in, 
I believe that if everybody lived the way they ought to, there wouldn't be any war. I, I believe that. But I'll tell you what, there's something that swells up inside of me when I know that men have given their lives to give me freedom that I can stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel to you. And I've got to appreciate them. I say, I've got to appreciate them. You won't catch me down on the square marching underneath a red flag. Listen, I was over in Europe. You know what they do with all the terrorists there? They just post their picture and every now and then there's a red X through one of them. And I asked somebody, what's the red X for? They said, if they find a terrorist in West Germany, they just shoot them on the spot. And they ask questions later. And these are men who were killed on the streets. They said, we've been under Nazi rule. We don't want it again. But if you drive up to Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia, some of those places where there are communist and socialist powers, and it's lurching in our world. They've got guard towers every 100 yards apart, friend. And I'm here to tell you, it's not just to keep you from going in. They don't want their people going out either. Isn't it a strange thing that they have to operate this way? And the Siberian Seven came here, and they've been adopted by the United Pentecostal Church. We were told at our conference in one of our board meetings, there's over 104 Jesus-name oneness underground churches in Moscow. Can you believe that? And you know what the Russians are praying? I'm talking about the Jesus-name Russians. They're praying, and a lot of them want to leave because they say that the Lord told them in prophecy in certain other ways that His judgments would fall upon Russia. Now, Ezekiel 38 tells us that it will happen. It says God's going to put a hook in the jaw of Magog and turn her back. And I, I spoke about this this morning. And, you know, when you read the book of Revelation, you don't find the people talking about all the Christians that left. They don't do that. They don't go around and say, oh, well, there must be something because all the Christians left. You know, so all these graves open up. It's not found there. But one of the greatest things that happens right after Revelation 5, when the church is in heaven, is there's a great war that occurs on the face of the earth in which one billion people, that's a fourth part of all the people on the earth, is killed. Now, if the church is raptured, just as this war takes place, they would not even miss you or me. They would never know we were gone. I really believe that. Now, this next week there will be some there will be some legislation on this, and we have for you the names of our senators, addresses, telephone numbers, the president. We want you to write and tell them you're against it. You're against it. We want religious freedom right here in America until the rapture takes place. Because America alone has been responsible for the evangelization of the world up to this point. Russia doesn't do it. Mexico doesn't do it. It's been the states that's been responsible for it. But you see, this is nighttime. And Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. 
This is nighttime for our world. Now, I know I've been in this message for a while, but if you have never repented of your sins and been baptized in Jesus' name, this is nighttime for you. You'll notice one thing about the creative days in the book of Genesis. When God made the days, this is what he said, the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and the morning were the third day. The Jews started their day at 6 o'clock in, in the evening. And they first had their period of darkness. Then they had their daylight. The Romans, being responsible for our present calendar, turned it around. We have like Monday and then Monday night. Tuesday and Tuesday night. But when God made the earth, it wasn't that way. The evening first and then the morning. And man being born in sin and shaped in iniquity, God's purpose of visiting the world and dying upon the cross was so that you could have first your night and then your light. Praise God. Praise God. I'm so glad that Jesus brought light to me. But you see, I'm living just at the beginning of my day. For pretty soon the trumpet's going to sound and I'm going to rise up. And there will be no more night. And there won't even be a light in the city. For the Bible says that Jesus Christ shall be the light of that world. Praise God. But you see, if you've never started your life anew by repenting of your sins, being buried in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're living in darkness. And do you know what awaits for you if somehow the rapture takes place or if somehow you die before you're born again? All you will ever know is darkness. Your, your life will never be complete. Your day will never be what God wanted it to be. For the Bible says they shall be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. You may say, Pastor Grant, that sounds so unkind. It does sound unkind. You said it sounds so horrible. Doesn't it sound horrible? And some people say, you mean God? No. God considers it so horrible that He offered you an alternative. If you don't like hell, you don't have to go there. You see, that's what He thinks of it. And that's why He suffers long with man. So that you don't have to go. We want you to stand. Would you just allow right now the presence of God to talk to you? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. On both sides of our pulpit there is a place for you to come and kneel and pray.
If you've never repented of your sins, I trust that the small glimpse in the Word of God tonight has given you a hunger to be saved and live for God. And if this has happened on both sides of this pulpit, there is a place in which you can come and bend your knees and surrender your life to God. Would you come? Praise God. Who'd like to be the first one to step out right now and come and surrender their life to the Lord? Now we need three or four sisters to come and pray with Donna. Praise God. Some more of you come and pray with her, would you? Somebody else want to come and give their heart to the Lord? Listen, folks. This is midnight for sure. The trumpet could sound any moment. Would you come? Who'd like to be the next one to come? Several are praying here already. Why don't you step out? You children want to come and pray? Gather around the front here. We want to pray with you. We want to help you. We want to do all we can to see that you've made peace with God. Praise God. Now some of you sisters come over here and pray with this woman and her children. Would you do that right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah. We usually sing a song, but the sweet presence of the Lord is here. People are responding because God is talking. Listen, to turn me down as a preacher is not the best thing, but to turn God down is not good at all. No way. Would you step out and come on right now and give your heart to the Lord? Come on, somebody else wants to come. We're waiting right now. You may say, Brother Grant, it sounds like you're begging me. Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm begging you to come. I'm begging you to give your heart to God. And I believe that if for some reason you don't, and you meet God unprepared, you'll wish I'd have begged you even more. Come on right now, would you? People all over the place are kneeling and praying. There's still room for you right down here. Praise God. All right, why don't you just kneel back where you are and let's pray and get a hold of the Lord, Brother Felix. In His presence, there's fullness of joy, and at His right hand are treasures forevermore. 
Boa fé!